And welcome to the Two Medics podcast. Just a quick shout out to our sponsors, mah.uk.com for medical accountancy needs and also to lifelinehealthcaregroup.co.uk for the best locum rates. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Two Medics podcast. My name is Imran Lasker, I'm a consultant radiologist. Hi, I'm Dushigan Wardner. I'm a cardiology registrar, sub-specialising in intervention. And uh, we do have a special guest. This is probably the first kind of anonymous account that we're gonna, we've had what? on our... No, we had Meme Reg. Yeah, but we didn't have to keep him anonymous. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, we said we said the name, but we have Lady Doctor Arabella with us today. Um, not her real name. But if you do want to find us, at Lady Doctor says who's joining us today. Um, so yeah, please welcome to the podcast. Tell us who you are. Introduce yourself. What are you up to? Where are you? As much as you're willing to to give us, we'll we'll we're listening. <laughs> All right, I am I'm Lady Doctor. I am an American who is working currently as an emergency registrar in Australia at various largely rural uh, emergency departments in ideally sunny places. It's sort of like an Australian twang. How long so like <laughs> <laughs> So I've been here. Yeah, so I came I came here in twenty fourteen. I apparently have dropped my R's in Ooh. some words. And um, yeah, I, I and I draw out the vowels. I don't know. It's because uh, I because I grew up in the US in like a couple different parts of the US. I was born in Canada. It's a bit of a mess. I mean, it's not. It sounds cool. Um, can I ask you a really important Australian-related question <laughs> just before we actually go into? Did you watch the end of Neighbours? <laughs> Do you know what Neighbours is? Uh, I don't. So I, <laughs> I only just. I don't. I only just. I just bought a TV what? for the first time in my life. Like. Oh come on! You're one of those wow. people. Are you one of those people who grew up and never had a TV? Mm. Are you serious? What did you do with your time? We had a TV. It just never worked. I had lots. Of, I just had books. Yeah, books, oh, for God's sake, insufferable. Was I just, I just, I just read, <laughs> I just read Dickens, and I just read Keats, and I just read, be that person, were you? I just wild the hours away, just reading poetry. Yeah, exactly. While you heathens were watching your cartoons yeah, and Saturday morning <laughs> stuff like. Oh, great. Okay, fine. This can be that kind uh, of episode. All right, all right. Relax. Yeah. All right. But, but, okay, I, I should tell you. So right now I'm currently watching The Boys. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yes. So yeah, you yeah. can ask me any questions about The Boys. That's the only TV show I'm watching. Yeah, and Bruce has been going on about this for a while, isn't it? Everyone should be watching The Boys, apparently. It's so good. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, there is stuff that, yeah, I, there is stuff that I want to talk about, but I guess not without spoilers. But um, how do you, oh, I don't know. I mean, how do you feel about the way, uh, yeah, I can't say stuff. Well, maybe afterwards we'll talk about it. So, Arabella, I mean, you've got quite the following on Twitter. I mean, that's what, 23.6K followers. I mean, tell us a little bit about your Twitter profile, who you, who you are, you know, how this how this happened. I mean, you must have, did you have like a viral tweet or something? What, what, what went down? I only got active on Twitter. I only got active on Twitter early in the pandemic. So like early, early 2020, March 2020. Um, I was looking for information about COVID, obviously what... Um, the governments of my various countries were putting out was all quite delayed and based on like information that wasn't necessarily consistent with what we were seeing Mm. in the real world. Um, And Twitter just seemed to be a place where you could actually interact with other doctors, experts in their field directly. So I found that to be quite 
cool. I was also under investigation by the Australian board for unprovoked behavior on social media for something I'd said on Facebook. So I was like staying off Facebook, staying off Instagram. Mm -hmm. It was, I told someone to fuck off. And that was it. Oh my God. Yeah. And then somebody that I'd never met, never interacted with, never worked with. Then, yeah. So the, the person that I told to fuck off um, for, co for spreading COVID misinformation, um, mm. it was a third party person who then reported me to APRA for this Facebook interaction. And then I was under investigation for like eight months and I was like, no, we're not doing oh this anymore. So anyway, oh. I got onto Twitter and I went anonymous. Um, yeah, and, and I, I don't know why there are that many followers, to be honest. I just word vomit my thoughts. <laughs> and I guess they read I mean, it's pretty, so basically from, from looking up um, information like that, you, you've got your own wish list. Um, and um, you're saying that you, you've, you received a few gifts <laughs> uh, on your wish list. And I've, I've had a good look through your wish list. I'm, I'm surprised. I mean, look, you said that you've got a wax seal stamp. Um, that was on your wish list in the first place, which begs so many questions. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you actually I, use that thing? <laughs> I will. I just, I just bought, I just bought a typewriter, and I. Um, okay, I guess you didn't have a TV, so maybe this is all part and parcel. <laughs> 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 this is, we're actually doing this podcast through like uh, you know two cans and a and a wire that goes across the world. Um, <laughs> Yeah, apologies about the audio. Yeah, is that, that's the that's the reason. <laughs> yeah, and I I just was thinking I would um, I want to send my friends letters. Um, so. What and write a novel? Is it gonna be like Murder She Wrote, where you rip it, rip off the front and just throw it towards the screen? <laughs> Lady Doc says. Stamp that you put you put on you put <laughs> you fold the letter, you put it in the envelope, and then you you seal it with a stamp. Oh my god, this is how you're gonna start tweeting soon and be like little like pigeons are flying around. <laughs> oh I, I like it. I like it. It's kind of like olden times, like Caesar would have done like Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. I mean uh, look, I'll be I'll be building a guillotine next, it'll be great. <laughs> it's all mix, isn't it? So there's stamps, there's earphones, and then there's like last anatomy. Yeah. I, I like how it kind of seems to broach various different kind of eclectic categories whereas if it were mine it'd probably be a series it'd probably be either like gym stuff or lego um whereas yours, <laughs> yours seems yeah. to span a whole load of different things or maybe even box sets do you do box sets anymore through uh, no stuff? netflix oh, okay yeah fair enough it's all gone so um arabella you um you you, you partake in a bit of med twitter don't you? you you you've been keeping up with a fair few things that have been going on i i have uh i have come across the uh the twitter of med <laughs> I always find it funny like when you we were talking beforehand and you kind of we, we were talking about stuff that obviously happens in the UK and it just kind of strikes me that it's, it must be kind of weird looking from another country at the stuff that people in the UK are arguing about in fact actually there was a tweet in our list that I thought I thought would be kind of fun to kind of show you and see what you thought about it which is basically mm -hmm. people arguing in the UK about what the best chocolates were and I just kind of wondered what you think about it because you'd probably just think they're all so, so I have, my experience comes largely from the US and Australia and then some Canada and like I've spent a fair amount of time um, in, in a couple other places, but like when it comes to chocolates in the US, the one thing that I will always never accept is the fact that like we have chocolates that are banned in the US, but guns yeah. that are not. Oh yeah. <laughs> so like the, the Cadbury egg. Yeah, the Kinder egg you can't have. Yeah, or the Kinder, yeah, yeah. I don't know, the, the egg that has the toy 
Yeah, the, the, the chocolate egg that has the toy inside is banned in the U.S. because it's a choking hazard, which, you know, might harm a child. But guns are okay. Yeah, it doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, yeah, I think, um, yeah, this, I think there was a, a sketch that was on this thing called um, Third Rock from, Rock from the Sun, and they were waiting to, in the queue to try and get a driver's license. And it was like, they'll find, you know, there were aliens that are trying to get very difficult to get a driver's license. And then one of them says, can you imagine what it must be like to get a gun? And um, the point, it was harder to get a driver's license. And yeah, it was just, it's an amazing, amazing situation, isn't it? Um, there's no way of explaining that. But yeah, I found the list of, of chocolates here. What were your three, Imran? Well, the top, my top three, the ones I go for. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. always going to go for a bounty. Love a bounty. I love a whisper. Oh, God. Um, yeah, yeah. So love gross. a whisper. Boy, I, come on, mate. I mean, that's that's some serious chocolate. Yeah. And then uh, have they got a whole it's nut? It's not even chocolate. It's mainly. <sighs> yeah. And then the whole nut. So just cooking up. Whole nut and a whole nut is disgusting. disgusting. That's what I. That's literally what I buy every day, every Friday I'm on the way back from work. I'll stop by the petrol station and grab that, and yeah. then I drive the rest of the way. Uh, that, that's how I get back. Nut. Yeah, mate. Freak. Anyway, <laughs> go on then. All right. So for me, it is Twix. 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 Nice. Right. Yes. Good yeah. One. Kit Kat. No. Good one. And um and okay, so it can I say one that's not on here? Okay. Yeah. Which one? Mm-hmm. Re- the Reese's peanut butter cups. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You you lost you completely lost me with the first two, but then you brought it back in with a strong <laughs> finish. So that's good. The Reese's butter cups. Okay, I have to be honest though. I haven't I haven't had most of these candies. Like well, that, that's, ob- that's obvious. That's plainly obvious <laughs> because nobody in their right mind <laughs> would pick Kit Kat. I, and I think a lot of Twix. These, a lot of <laughs> Twix is good. And, yeah, I agree. Um, no. I think Twix is good. You know. But you know what you could do? You could put it on your Amazon wish list and maybe someone will buy it for you. Anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's other ones, yeah. It's still hard to put in there. But look, the Twix thing, <laughs> it's like, the problem is, the problem I have with Twix is it doesn't really know what it wants to be. It's like got biscuits, it's got caramel, it's got chocolate, and it doesn't really excel on any of them. In fact, I think there's just, the biscuit ratio is just far too high. Oh, so I'm right. eating it and I'm like, it's not enough chocolate, it's not enough caramel. It's just, just biscuit. And then the similar issue with Kit Kat, I find, is that it's just a bit kind of, it's just like another kind of. You don't like wafery. the wafery. I mean, I, I like the wafer. I just think the the ratio of chocolate to wa- uh, to wafer isn't quite good enough. Like there just needs to be more chocolate on it. It's just okay. a bit. I don't know. Like I I could enjoy a Kit Kat with a cup of tea as a combo, <laughs> but on its own, it just doesn't have enough weight. It doesn't have enough gravity. So I think what I think what you want is a Tim Tam. Which is also not on the list. This is a very Anglo Anglo centered English centered list. Yeah. Okay. It is also yeah. by an account called No Talk No Context Brits. <laughs> it is. I mean, yeah. they are supposed to be English chocolates, but maybe I'll put the Tim Tams onto my wish list. That's like a quintessential. I remember there's like a whole thing with Boris Johnson where he went to Australia and said, Oh, we can get Tim Tams and we were like, Okay, what is that? We don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I have I have blown a many a mind of many an American by sending them them um, Tim Tams through Amazon. Oh, oh, oh. Well, there you go. Well, yeah. So it wasn't yeah, that just... crazy than I did. <laughs> Supporting yeah, Jeff Bezos. No, not Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Yeah, Jeff Bezos. Yeah, it is Jeff Bezos. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is going to be. Yeah. yeah, just like one transaction at a time. Um, yeah, 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 get on your rocket, fly away, <laughs> stay away. And stay. Just just enjoy yourself. Uh, knock yourself out. Um, 
But yeah, look, I think um, there is a few differences, obviously, between where you're working and we're working. And I think one of the things that popped up was, so in the UK, I don't know if you guys have got a similar situation, but we've got physician associates. And this is a yeah. subject that keeps popping up, like, because people in the UK or some people in the UK are, don't, don't like the idea that physician associates can get paid as much as they do. But I think um, you're saying to me that maybe I should think about moving to Australia because uh, well, things sound better on a lot of levels. And one of the things I like is pay. Sounds like things are much better out there. So what's your take on this? What do you, how do you feel about uh, physician associates and pay and pay in general, I guess? So I will say, um, I think everybody who is a patient-facing worker should get paid more, no matter what it is you do. If you're patient-facing, if you're clinical, if you're you know um, janitorial, anybody who works physically has to work hour for hour for their income to be paid more. This is not managers. This is not like, CEOs, this is not people who earn money by moving money around. Um, mm. We, I don't, I think in Australia, they tried to create physician assistants. They opened a few programs. There's a couple people with pe like physician assistant or associate degrees or whatever, uh, and it didn't really take yeah. off. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. In the US though, that debate brought like every three months, med Twitter decides to like have another shit fest and discuss mm. PAs versus MDs. Like, you know, why are PAs getting paid more than residents? And then, and like, I actually, um, <sighs> So the way that I see it is that there's a couple things that are that are to be said on both sides of, of, of like from both perspectives. Um, the reason that it upsets people on the medical side is that you've got people who the, the PA degree is shorter than a medical degree. It's only three years as opposed to four. Um, mm. There is a distinction, though, that in order to get into the PA program, you have to have clinical experience. So like you can do a bachelor's degree, then do some sort of clinical experience, whether it's uh, emergency medical technician, paramedics, if it's nursing assistant, nursing, whatever. Um, and then you can go into this three-year degree. When you graduate as a PA, you can start working straight away. And the salary is generally about a hundred. You don't necessarily need to do a residency and you just learn on the job. And then you can, you can also change around. So you mm. can be an orthopedics PA for 10 years and then decide, you know what, I want to go do plastics for 10 years or whatever. Mm. Um, and then if, you know, if you work for a surgeon who is, you know, earns a lot. And if you help the practice earn a lot, then your pay can go up, but it doesn't go up by that much over the course of your lifetime. With medical graduates, you have to do four year bachelor degree, four year medical degree, any research in between. A lot of people now have to do a master's or post back or what something else to get into medical school these days. You go into a lot of debt. So four years, um, the cost is generally higher. And then you come out, you still have to do three to four years of residency, which is like 80 hours to 100 hours a week, not a fortnight, like 80 to 100 hours a week in the US. Wow. Um, yeah. And you're getting paid absolute shit for that. Like, I think that I think the median is like 45,000 a year, which is actually the median mm. US income, but for like, a job where people's lives are on the line, you get abused by various individuals and the hospital system at large. Mm where your time is essentially mm. spoken for you. Um, mm. And then the justification for that is that once you become a consultant, you are earning ideally or allegedly like over 200,000. The problem with that is, is that so many people are coming out. Like for me personally, I took my loans out from the U S government for med school. Um, I, I took out, I think 380, over the four years but then on the day that i graduated that turned into 450 like literally just all the interest became 
principle and then it just like kicked in straight away and Mm. so you've got a lot of people with extraordinarily high levels of debt who are then thinking well wait a second why is it you know if, if pas and mds can do the same job why did i go through four or five years of abuse at like this horrible pay rate because clearly the system is showing me that you can actually work fewer hours for better pay and accomplish the same job so that's from the from the medical perspective especially medical residents like you're seeing someone who has the same as or less education than you earning twice as much as you doing the same job as you and you're just like what the fuck and then Hmm. compare that to the way that the pa see it is that you know after 10 years like if you're a pa and you've been doing the same job for 10 years you're gonna be as skilled as a consultant but then you're looking at it from the perspective of like i'm as skilled as that consultant i'm you know probably a better patient bedside whatever and yet that consultant mm-hmm. is now earning twice as much as me and i will never reach that pay grade and all it is all it is is <clears throat> two things like one we need pas we need nps in the u.s because we just literally don't have enough people to do the jobs like there is no physician oversupply in any country. Like we have this discussion in Australia, in in America, they're always saying, you know, if we if we create too many med students, we're going to have this situation where we don't have enough training positions for them. That is a manufactured problem. That is not reflective of the actual workforce demand. Like I don't know a single doctor who is not overworked, who doesn't want to cut back on hours, but they can't because there's too many patients. There's not enough healthcare providers. Um. So it's really just, we shouldn't be fighting with one another. We should like, we should like genuinely be asking ourselves if PAs can achieve the same level of skills that MDs can eventually, um, why is it that we're treating our residents so poorly? And why is it that we're Mm. making them work so many hours? Um, And on the flip side, if PAs are as skilled as MDs, which, you know, you, you take a skilled PA and they are, then it's like, well, then why aren't they getting paid as much as the MDs? And why do we have so many different pathways to get to a position? And why are we pitting each other against each other? Why do we have residents fighting with consultants, fighting with PAs, fighting with NPs, when we should all just be fighting the system? It's a really, really, really well point, put point. Because um, I think a lot of the time people focus on that beginning bit, which is what you mentioned in terms of, oh, well, you know, PAs aren't as qualified as a junior doc. And therefore, why they're getting paid more. But then I guess we, a lot of people, including myself, haven't taken into consideration that what happens at the other end when you've got a PA who's been doing it 15 years, 20 years, they're going to be as good, but they're not going to be making as much as a consultant waltzing in and out, you know, with their private work and all the rest of that's going on. And yeah, it clearly is that the system is not working for either person. I think maybe there are positives and negatives that can take from both sides and maybe some sort of middle ground, right? And I think. Um, there has been talk about sort of potential apprenticeships or uh, potential ways for people to not go to med school and um, be, be kind of become doctors on the job. And that's something that we discussed on our podcast not so long ago. But maybe that is that middle ground of um, people who go to med school who become consultants and there's other people who become doctors by working the job for however long it takes to get competent to be the equivalent of a medical graduate. Maybe that maybe that's the way forward. I don't know. Um, Fushu, what do you think? It's difficult, isn't it? Because I think one of the things about um, PAs is that it was kind of create, uh, created as a way of kind of, well, it's like another role within medicine that kind of seems to kind of fill the job that doctors could do. It's kind of like if you'd have just made the life of a doctor better, um, like, you know, if there are more doctors, then um, if it was more accessible to become a doctor, um, mm. 
then it would be a role that wouldn't be necessary. Um, hmm. And so it just kind of seems like it's some, it's kind of a, a kind of weird sol- like solution to a problem that could have been so- solved in a different way. But instead of just kind of addressing that issue, they just did this instead. It just seems kind of funny, but you know, it's, there and um, it works for the people who are choosing to do it i just think that the kind of the focus on uh, like um I, I, the people who are kind of um seem so angry about pa pay um particularly on their twitter anyway um other I, I, I think i feel like it kind of undermines our own arguments it, like you know when you see people talking about kind of pay for for nurses and they're like oh footballers get paid like this and that and it's like it's just kind of this weird kind of indirect, like, it's just kind of this weird distraction-y type conversation. It's like, I'm not sure how relevant that is. And you need to focus on your own value rather than just mm. being like, oh, this person, gets, like, you know, it just, I, I just think, I don't think it's necessarily a, a kind of helpful conversation. So um, I, I, I think that I can see, I can see why people feel frustrated, but um, I think it's all, it's all kind of, um, it muddies the water and stuff, kind of like focusing on other people. Um, we see this a lot with the U.S. trying to like raise the minimum wage. Like our minimum wage in the U.S. is still seven twenty-five an hour federally. A lot of states have increased their minimum wages, but it doesn't actually address. So like you, you'll hear people being like, you know, I'm an EMT. I only make fifteen dollars an hour, and that's if you're one of the ones who get paid. Like when I was an EMT, I was a volunteer. Like I literally didn't get paid. Um, mm-hmm. And they'll say, you know, why is someone flipping burgers at McDonald's earning more money than the person who's doing CPR and someone who's having a heart attack? And it's like, well, why, like, why are you trying to make sure that they don't get paid more? Like, everyone should be getting paid more. Like, we should all, and, mm-hmm. and I heard this a lot early in the pandemic when doctors were complaining about travel nurses earning, you know, twice as much or three times as much as the regular nurses and then obviously earning more than the residents. And it's like, well, they're mm-hmm. actually, all they're doing is getting paid what they're worth. Like, they're, like they're, they know mm. what they're worth, they're getting paid it. And so what we need to do is actually just acknowledge how much we're worth and like yeah, exactly. go on, like you, like the fact that, you know, uh, take home pay, um, actual pay in the UK has gone down in the last 20 years. Like you're literally getting paid the same or well, no, less now as a junior doctor in the UK than you would have mm. been paid 20 years ago. That, that speaks for itself. Like we should, like everyone, needs to be fighting for more pay for ourselves instead of less pay for others. So I don't know. I think yeah. the comparison yeah. is, is very much just playing into the hands of the people who just don't want to pay any of us. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's a kind of divide and conquer and sort of let you guys fight between each other and um, carry on while we uh, keep cutting away at your pay, basically. It's, 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 you're, you're exactly right. I mean, that's exactly what's been going on in the, in the UK with, um, with the entire situation that the pay hasn't gone up with uh, inflation at all. And so we've ended up in a situation where, um, yeah, we're effectively taking, uh, taking a pay cut over the last decade or more. And I think it's starting to bite on people now, you know, and people are starting to find it difficult. And there was a tweet that I feel like this relates to, and I don't know if you saw this one, um, Arabella, but it was um, uh, Claire Davis. She goes, for those who are struggling, what is keeping you in medicine right now? Did you see that one? And so there was a few people um, kind of tweeting back saying that these are the reasons why I stayed, why, why I haven't left. And a few people were talking about, you know, working in a team, making a difference. And some people were just saying to pay the mortgage, you know, they, they stay, stick around because they want to pay the mortgage and pay the bills. And me, I, I threw in the dollar sign because, uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, that's kind of not untrue either. I, I'm yeah. not afraid to say that. But a huge part of the reason I stick around is because it pays. 
Um, if I didn't, then I don't think I'd be, I think it's highly likely I'd be doing something else. A hundred percent. Yeah, there's absolutely no honor. There's no honor whatsoever in working for free. And the people who say, you know, you do this for the, you do this because it's a calling. You do this because it's, you know, an honor. It is like to be a doctor is absolutely an honor. You have like, you are treating people in the most vulnerable times in their lives. They're scared. You're the person who's trying to be like, okay, this is, we're going to find out what's wrong and we're going to treat it if we can. That is um, no, no other profession allows you such intimacy with somebody who's, mm. who's a complete stranger. Um, it is an honor. That being said, that anyone who tells you you should love your job is just trying to get you set up to exploit you for it. Like at no point, you know, if, if, if you spend all of your days and nights at the hospital, when you die, the hospital is not coming to your funeral. I mean, like people from there yeah. might, but it's um, the people who, yeah, the people who are saying those things, like they're laughing because they're the ones who are taking home like they're the ones with the private helipads. They're the ones with the yachts. Yeah. They're the ones who, when they get tired of work, they can leave and know, like, you know, the fact that they put us in these situations where if we leave work because we're sick, we're letting down our team. No, like the system should be set up with enough redundancy that if I'm sick, I shouldn't have to come into work. You know, like mm. that's, that is it. That is the role for locums. That is the role for um, mm. having a lot of junior doctors. And the fact that, yeah, like to say that you're going to work for money, feel like there's anything wrong with that because that's the society we live in if we lived in a society where we weren't um valued dollar for dollar minute for minute then like sure i like there are things that i want to do because they i know that i can do something that will make things better for someone else but um that's mm. not how society sees me so like that 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 is the society yeah. we live in I mean, that's the thing. I think um, it muddies the argument because I feel um, where the situation is now that if you were to say you turn up for money, then I, I, I think I said something like this on a tweet a few weeks ago. And then someone was like, but that must mean you're a bad doctor. And I was like, well, no, you could be a good doctor and still go to make money. And then someone's like, but that means you don't care about patients. Like, actually, <laughs> I can still care about patients and still expect to get paid for the work that I do. These are completely separate things. But by confusing the argument consistently, you're just kind of trying to almost... Um, pull it away from what really matters and and I mean, it sounds like um for yourself where you are it's going to be the same thing i mean uh, doctors aren't getting paid enough for what they do um there's some good replies on this one actually um mm. and some people just uh yeah being a bit funny uh, on there as well but i thought it was, it was something interesting to think about like what is the essence of why you keep turning up but do you think that's okay here's a question do you think some people are just turning up because uh it's just the thing they do now like they there was that argument that they use where if you had rabbits growing up in a cage and they've all, all they've ever known is a cage and you open the cage, they wouldn't run out because they'd be too afraid to leave. Do you think that's what part of what's going on? Because like what, what, most of us think, well, what else can I do? I, I'm not good at anything else. <laughs> Only fans. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, don't out me for my OnlyFans account. But um, I think the thing is that like, <laughs> There is a security, isn't there, in the sense that, like, and, you know, for all the kind of problems there is, there is kind of work within medicine and as horrendous as it can be, I think, especially for for me, I feel like, you know, I went to med school straight out of school and then, you know, I didn't do like, you know, it was kind of a conveyor belt. And the mm. idea of kind of launching into a different career seems really scary. Like, what would I do? And um, even when you kind of start working and you're like, your PAYE like you know your, your taxes get done and I don't know like um you kind of in some ways the kind of outside life just kind of 
you can kind of coast, I think. And um, so the idea of change seems kind of scary. Um, so I can see why people, why like pe- people um, can feel that way because, and also like your social circle ends up all being like medics and stuff as well. So like, I think there's lots kind of keeping, there's lots of like shared trauma and I guess there's that sunk cost, isn't it? You've, you've, in, you've invested so much time and effort in that career and in a lot of ways like I think when people identify themselves like I for a for a long time I think if someone had if someone asked me to like describe myself I think probably one of the first few things I would have said would have been I'm a doctor it became such a big part of my identity um when I think about the things I talk about in kind of conversations at home or with friends it does end up being about work so um, I guess mm. giving up, changing career and giving up all that does sound kind of scary. I So I, I've thought about this a lot because it's hard to like, like say to paint a broad, like to paint doctors with a broad brush. But I mean, for some people, sure. Like there, there is definitely like a bit of it where it's like, well, if I'm not a doctor, then what am I? Who am I? I've, I've taken a lot of time. Like I've taken quite large gaps in my post-grad years, like to go back home, to take care of my dad, to just, do other things um and i am like exploring other skills that i've got like musical instruments blah 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 um i do like not having medicine be my only identity like i'm not just a doctor like there are other things that i am there are other things i can do mm. there if i needed to if someone came up to me tomorrow and said you know you're never allowed to work as a doctor again i i could still find ways to pay the bills it wouldn't be as comfortable uh in the end but i could still do it the the one thing the reason i think i won't leave medicine altogether is that the more minoritized you are the more you realize how homogenous medical the medical establishment is the medical institutions are and so like i will walk into an emergency department i'm autistic so like and that's not common for women and it's not common for people to get this far in whatever their degree or their uh chosen field is especially not one where you are so public facing we have to interact with people as much as you do and like i've had several autistic patients you know who come into the emergency department and they they'll say like oh you know please watch out that patient's autistic and i'll be like yeah me too and like there i can i can build a connection with that patient in ways that no other physician has and they'll just they won't put up the barriers that they have with other individuals and like we can get to the bottom of what's happening and it can be a smooth experience for them women women of color women who have not been believed when it comes to pain like all these experiences that I have had personally as a, as an individual and now I can be a more compassionate provider when actually providing healthcare in the emergency department which is like a really scary place for a lot of people to be i think that's the reason i won't mm. leave because if I leave, then then who's left? Like the people who are leaving, the people who want to leave, the people who are getting pushed out are largely the people who feel ostracized the most, who get who get pushed out the most. And who are those people? It's going to be uh, any sort of ethnic minority, religious minority, people who have um, whose sexual orientation is not straight, people who are trans, people who are like mm. any sort of minoritized individual is going to be the person who feels the most disillusioned with the system because they're the ones who are not getting the most out of the system in return i think there there was a book i read and it was um called uh be so good they can't ignore you and one of the things he talks about in this book is um have you, have you read this one it's really good um 
and basically he talks about how there's pr pretty much three main stems of things that you do in life, right? So there's something that you do as a job, which is basically to pay the bills. Then there's things that you do to further yourself in your job, i.e., you know, get more qualifications to get more paid for it to, to get a better job. And then there's a third thing, which is the things that you do for free. And that can be um, something you believe in, something that you, you think is a bigger picture. Um, and so I think there's a couple of things here that I mean, when I read that, it made me think a lot about like, okay, so um, first of all, there's the identity thing, like what do I identify myself as? And I think as time's gone on, I feel like I want to identify, I, I want medicine to be less of the biggest part of the reason, uh, biggest thing that I say. So if someone says, what do you do? I'm hoping one day eventually it would be quite low down in the things that I do because I'd be doing other things and it's not as big a part of my personality. But also it's like, um, I don't know, do you think it's important to sort of try and not to... Uh, so I was thinking, do I muddy the water between career and um, uh, the things I do for free, you know, the passion projects? Like, do I, do I mingle them together? And is this a dangerous thing to do? Because when you start mingling the passion and, and saying that, you know, you, you, you're doing these bigger things, like, don't you think there's a bit of a scare that someone might try and use that against you? So, well, you know what, well, I'm not... I thought you did it because of the other thing. I'm not paying you anything extra. You know, you're you're turning up because you you like people and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's what I worry about because I think that we do get taken advantage of, and that's kind of the constant argument that comes back at you when you try and have these conversations. I think there's always going to be someone who has an opinion on you know purity of whatever, and you know, and there are always going to be people who are going to question your motives and stuff. But they're just haters, aren't they? Like mm. we were talking earlier, weren't we, about people kind of grifting and how like there's always there's always someone out there who'll be like, oh, you shouldn't do it that way. You should do it this way. And then you kind of get those, you know, mm. like the people who are like, who, who describe medicine as a vocation and like how it should be seen in that way. And like, yeah. God, I mean, if that's what like does it yeah. for you, then whatever. But, you know, just um, it's when you expect everyone else to kind of behave in that way that it just seems really um, weird. Yeah, so there was a fourth year med student who tweeted a couple, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago about how like, she's a fourth year med student. This is in the US. So they've already matched for their um, intern spots. And she was doing a rotation or a term in something that she wasn't going to be doing for the rest of her life. And someone said, you know, like, mm. oh, you, you can go now. And then she left. <laughs> and then apparently, some, you know, dinosaur logged on to reply to her, like, you know, you should take every opportunity you can to learn like this is a calling, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, the people who say those mm. are the people who have 100% full-time support at home who like yeah, have their sheets absolutely. made for them, their meals prepared mm. for them, like their kids bathed for them who don't have any other responsibilities. Oh, it was the thing about like the urine, like something about, um, should probably put that into more context. Like, someone... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it was something about like, um, having to stay back to like, dip someone's urine or versus like going home and letting like the after hours doctor like follow that result oh, up oh, and so she was like no I'm gonna go home I'm not staying at work and sacrificing this time like away from my family my kids to like wait for someone's urine result and then this dinosaur was like <laughs> you know which doctor I would trust to take care of me the one who stayed back and examined my urine and I was just like oh, so wow. my mom my mom yeah, literally. My mom did her residency when I was a child. So she started doing her, um, she did her neurology training starting when I was five or six years old and then finished when I was like nine or 10. And then she died when I was 13. Mm. So like those years she spent at the hospital, you know, all those hours. This was before work hour restrictions were ever actually respected and 
still aren't mm. but like all of those years that you you work these years and then you expect that at the end of it you get fewer hours and you get to spend time with your family and you, you yeah. promise your family like you know once this is done then we get be to spend better. time together and yeah. the problem is is that like life mm. does other like life has other plans for you so mm. it's it's not fair to ask junior doctors to sacrifice time now in a promise that like, they'll get time later like it just that's not how it works if you want my time now you pay me for my time now that's it and if you want mm. me to stay extra like an extra three hours because someone called in sick that's fine i want it in writing that you're going to pay me those three hours if i don't have that email by the end of my shift i'm leaving like i'm sorry there's there's always going to be patience there's always going to be work that needs to be done like i can't just keep giving away parts of myself without replenishing myself, taking care of myself. I hope you don't mind, but there's a couple of things I want to ask you. So yeah. first of all, you, I didn't know this, so your mum was a doctor. So did that, did that influence you to go and go into medicine, do you think, in a positive way? Or do you, having seen the kind of life that she'd had, you think, you know what, I'm not so sure about this? So I didn't want to be a doctor initially. I went to, I went to undergrad. I did a degree in neuroscience. My plan was to like have a cruisy life as a PhD. Like I was like, oh, I'll just do a PhD and then, mm. you know, not have to work nights and weekends um and then i went and did some postgrad research uh with a, a pretty prominent like neurosurgical institution and i was a research coordinator with a bachelor's degree and the problem that i kept running into is that every time i wanted to propose a project or a study or like add on to what i was already doing they would say no you can't do that only an md can do that only a doctor can do that and so I was like, fine, you know what, fuck you, I'll go be a doctor. Like, and I still, even when I went, <laughs> even when I went to med school, my initial plan was like to go do an MD, PhD, and then just like spend time researching. Because again, I'm autistic, like mm. patient facing, like interactions are like something I've had to do, spend a lot of time working on. Um, okay. Then when I got into med school, I actually discovered that I like patient interactions. And so I, and, and I tried to actually, I tried to join a PhD program while I was in med school. My GPA was like 0.2 too low. And I was like, fine, like I'm not fine mm. for this. And then, yeah, I don't know. I guess again, the universe had different plans for me. And then now I'm actually a, the most patient facing <laughs> kind of doctor. <laughs> but then like, do you think it affects your, your current sort of subspecialty choice? Like, do you look back and think, okay, you know what, like, um, I don't want to be doing that. I don't want to be living like this. I'm going to have to find something that kind of gives me, because um, it sounds to me as like you kind of know what you want and what, what you're expecting from the job on a lot of levels. Whereas I think a lot of people, including myself, once you're on that treadmill, you're just carrying on, carrying on. You're not really thinking about the bigger picture. You just got this one goal at the end that you think, right, if I, once I get there, things would be sweet, man. Um, which may or may not be true. But then um, and when I look back now, I do realize that actually there were, there were certain kind of, um no-go zones like based on my own father and and the way that we grew up that like just this is what i wanted from a job and that's the way it's going to be and even when i finished it could have gone either way i could have got really busy or chose something that's not so busy and again chose something that's not so busy based i think now looking back on it very much on the way that my dad was and the way that how hard he had to work to get us through um what he did um, do you think that's the same thing for you? Do, do you think that you look, you're making decisions based on that? Absolutely. Like I, I know that if I, I don't want a job that takes up so much of my time that my family doesn't get to to see me, to have me like to like, again, I'm, I'm a very firm believer that like what makes life worth living is just the relationships that you have in that life. And for, for me, for my family, for my culture, like, and I know this isn't how a 
this doesn't apply to everyone, but like family is so important mm. to us. And like for me, family is like my dad, my cousins, my aunts and uncles, my nieces, my net, like the extended family to me is still very much a part of my direct family. So like, I have no trouble um, if someone says, Oh, can you work these two weeks that I'm not scheduled to work? I'd be like, no, I'm not working those two weeks. I'm flying to, this is pre pandemic. Like I'm flying to some Island mm -hmm. to meet up with my cousin that I haven't seen in three years. Like for me, keeping those relationships alive is so important. I have 50 first cousins. Oh my gosh. Wow. Um, yeah. Whoa. Like my dad is one of 10. My mom was one of seven and like, Wow. I, I value those relationships a lot. And like I said, you know, I've, I've taken substantial gaps in my own work and in my own training to go be with my dad because, you know, he's my only parent left and I don't want to be the person who mm. like, I'm like, Oh no, no, no. I have to go to work. I can't come see you. And then, and then what? Yeah. Like letting those relationships disintegrate for work. No, it better mm. be worth a lot of money. Doesn't seem worth it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this kind of brings us on to another tweet. Do you remember through to the one about the email that came in? Oh, yeah. Trying to get people to work. Um, uh, the saga continues. Unbelievable. Received from a friend from a different hospital. Hi, question mark. Is there no way you can cover the night tonight, please? I have no one available, no agency, something. Come back to me. Uh, I, could, I would really appreciate if you could fight through the pain and come in for me, please. One last favor, since I gave you those lovely locums, please. Thank you. Um, I feel like I know what your answer to this kind of email would be, Arabella. I, I kind of hope it's, I hope it's no, <laughs> absolutely no chance. The fact that they say one last favor, since I gave you those lovely locums, like, um, no, like nobody gets my time without paying, oh, except for you guys right now. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Uh, I will be on your Amazon list later. Do not worry. No, <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh. I, I'm so much more protective of my time now, like in probably the last two years, I just, no, if you can't respect me or my time, um, you have to make it worth it. You have to make it worth my time. You either have to be someone who is so, I don't know, someone that I can learn from someone who's inspiring, someone who's teaching me something, showing me something, or you have to pay me like, and mm. I don't like this. Like, I'm not a big fan of the capitalist society. I don't want to have to um, reduce everything to a dollar amount, but that's that's simply the society we live in. You don't get my time mm. for free anymore. But I, like, um, because I definitely feel like those kind of emails, they do, you get them, right? And they kind of, um, they make you feel bad, or at least that's what this person's kind of trying to do, right? They're kind of, it's just this kind of appealing to our friendship type thing. Yeah, yeah. And um, you have to be a particular... I think you have to be particularly assertive. And if you think about the, uh, the kind of different types of medics there are, uh, or people there are doing medicine, there are going to be people who are going to, you know, find that quite difficult to kind of say no to or kind of respond to. And um, do you think you've always been kind of good at kind of setting that boundary and saying, no, that's not what I want to do? Um, or is that something you've learned? I learned how to do it in med school. So in med school, I did a couple of projects, uh, research projects for people where I did like the bulk of the data collection or the bulk of the writing or the analysis or whatever. And um, I was just entirely left off the authorship or the poster or the paper or whatever. And then um, what they would do is like, I remember there was one ONG registrar who, you know, was, was doing a poster presentation. She ended up winning like an award at the conference where that it was like, it was like a, like an internal conference, but she ended up winning an award for her poster. And when she presented it, like, I didn't even know what day she was presenting. 
And she just kind of like, as an aside, was like, oh, you know, I just want to, um, you know, uh, an acknowledgement to this medical student, um, Arabella, for helping me with this. And it, I think she, like, it just felt like she left out the fact that I did like. A lot of it. It's a common story, isn't it? Well, you could, you could put, you could put this podcast on Patreon. We have, we have, and we've got a Patreon. We've got, and I actually put it into, um, you know, if you want to buy us a chicken burger, it will cost us this much. And um, yeah, we do have one. And I think we've got one Patreon, <laughs> but I've tried to take the money out. Has anyone bought you a chicken burger? They do. No, someone is. Like, they've been doing it for, for months now. I've I, I tried to take the money a few times. Yeah. And I just can't do it. For some reason, I can't figure it out, like how to actually get the money out. No way. So it's just sitting there accumulating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't cover the cost of the podcast by any means, no, but it's still nice. I'm gonna send you some chicken burgers. Ah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thank you very yeah. much. But uh, it's nice that someone has bothered yeah, yeah, uh, to true. do that on a fairly regular <laughs> basis. So it's, it's nice. I don't know who that is. Yeah. Um, maybe they're a feeder. They just want to <laughs> yes, them, yes, either. Lose, yeah. lose the guts. Yeah. Oh, like I think as you asked me how, like, when did I start saying no easily? I think my whole life oh, yeah. I've always said no easily. Oh. Be like, oh, do you want to go do the dishes? No. Mm. Okay, now you have to do the dishes. Like. I, I, but, but especially from, for things like related to work. So med school, that experience in med school, because oh, people would say, oh, go, go talk to the consultant. I'm like well, the consultant was there. Like they know that I assisted in that project and they know that their registrar did not put my name on that poster. So from then on, cause I did that, it happened like two or three times, to be honest, hmm. like twice with two ONG mm. registrars, once with an, with a transplant fellow. And at the and by the end of that, by the time I graduated, I was like, I'm never doing work for free. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, that, that's a good attitude to take. Um, yeah, I always think to myself, like, you know, I watch Netflix for free. You know, that's that's what I generally like to do for free. So whatever you're offering me, better be better than that. And if it's not better than that, then I'm not I'm not getting involved. Forget it. Um, but there's another tweet that came up. I don't know if you saw this. So in the UK, they're thinking about um, if someone DNAs, you know, when they don't attend an appointment, they're thinking about charging them for that. So they're saying that, um, you know, and one doctor is talking about how once a patient DNA'd, as in didn't turn up, and they contacted their transport service and asked them to check again, and it turned out the patient had collapsed at home, they were taken to resus rather than the clinic. But instead of looking out for why patients don't attend, you want to send a bill. So the point is, um, people are not dealing with the reasons as to why someone might not attend an appointment. They'd rather just charge people. And um, I don't know, you can... On a perverse level, from that kind of mind, you can imagine, okay, well, maybe if someone's going to get charged to turn up for missing appointment, they're less likely to miss the appointment. But also, it's another distraction, isn't it? I mean, that's that's not the bigger picture. I mean, a £10 here or there is not going to make a difference to the NHS and the bigger problems with the training, the hours, the pay for everyone and all that kind of thing. This is a minor issue. I mean, it's a big issue, but not really as big an issue as the wider NHS. I mean, what, what do you think of potentially charging patients for, for missing appointments? <sighs> I, my my gut reaction is to say no because because generally speaking like if if especially i mean especially if this is going to be someone who's um a vulnerable patient someone who needs rides someone who needs assistance getting to their appointments like i remember reading one tweet by a specialist that was saying that their patient turned up late for their appointment and like it was like 5 p.m. and so she was like i wasn't going to see this patient because I value the time of my employees. And then there were just a lot of people saying like, well, I mean, you, what, what are this? Cause she was a specialist. Like she's a pretty highly compensated specialist. And people said, what, what, what were the circumstances surrounding why the patient was, was late? I don't know. I, I have been charged a full 
fee for a specialist appointment that I was unable to make because I was a med student. And I was like, I, I, I can't make this appointment because I literally cannot leave. Like you guys changed the appointment time for me. I tried calling you to tell you that I couldn't make that appointment. You don't have a voicemail set up and you're only open during the hours when I'm literally in class or in clinic or whatever. And so then they tried to charge me like whatever, 70 bucks or something. And I was like, that, that, that's, that's not fair. Mm. And, and again, I think what you said, like, it doesn't actually make that much of a difference. But then again, on, on the, on the flip side, if you're a GP trying to make things, you know, trying to make ends meet and if your patient doesn't show up, then you don't get paid for that. I, again, I think there's, a, there's a problem with the system where there should be redundancy built in. If I know that in Australia for the public specialty clinics, if you don't show up three times, then you just don't get seen. Like you need a new referral to see the specialist. Hmm. And that's like, that's fine. You don't get charged for not showing up in a public clinic. I mean, that's what, that's what I tend to do. Like um, if someone turns up and I'm around, I just do it because there's so many, you know, like I've been late to things. And it's nice when someone, you know, cuts your favor and just sees you anyway. It happens. Mm. Um, and I'm not an organized person, so I, I get it. But um, I guess, like, from, I think from the NHS point of view, they're not, if appointment gets missed, then it's not as though the GP gets paid less. They get paid the same because they're already there and they're getting paid a day rate for whatever they're doing. Um, it's more of a, I guess, a trying to make use, trying to make sure that the patients use the time. Yeah, and you can see how it's kind of a, an argument that they they'll try and use, but I, like I said, I think it's distraction from yeah, from yeah. the bigger picture. I mean, they say, don't they, in trying to enforce it? It seems like, like it's trying to moralize. Yeah, like it's yeah. like, hmm. yeah, like you're trying to moralize things that are largely outside people's control. Like largely, if people are late or they miss an appointment, it's it's not like with people so desperate to to access healthcare. If someone's missing an appointment, it's not because they just don't want to be there. They don't respect the time. It's because something else has happened and they have to make a choice or they just, you know, they don't have the resources to get there. Totally. I remember mm. when I was doing clinical research, we paid our research participants $100 per visit, which like, remember, minimum wage in the U.S. is $7.25 an hour. We were paying them $100 um, per visit. And the problem is, is that the $100 would go out in check form. And so it wouldn't actually reach them until two weeks later. And I had a lady who lived not far from the hospital, but she couldn't get there on her own. And she's like, I just don't have the money to pay for the taxi to get there in the first place. And so like, she mm -hmm. was a no show for our clinical research appointments. And I remember thinking like, you're on my way to work. Like I could just pick you up and bring you in. And then I was told like, don't do that. It's a legal nightmare. If something happens, like you're going to be in so much trouble. The hospital will be in trouble, blah, blah, blah. And so it's these mm -hmm. kind of, again, Whenever I think of something that's an issue, I try to frame it in the perspective of how would a caveman look at me if I was trying to explain this to them? And if they would look <laughs> at me like I'm <laughs> fucking insane, then it's probably a social construct that doesn't actually warrant me getting upset about. It's a good way of looking at things, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, fair enough. I mean, yeah, it's, um, it's I don't know, they're, they're talking about a charge all sorts of things these days but i think that's part of the big picture isn't it um of the way that the uh, uk uk healthcare system is going unfortunately um they're pushing towards that i think even introducing the idea of a charge is a step stone towards charging in general for healthcare um because as soon as you make it so at the moment the thing is like people in the uk way we find it a bit weird to have to pay the gp anything you know like why would i need to pay the gp you just turn up and get a gp from essentially for the person going to see the doctor, it's free. Going to Amy is free, but I think um, 
as a subtle thing, you know, or if all of a sudden you've introduced the idea of a payment of some sort of transaction, then that does open the possibility to someone um, potentially wanting to pay more in the private sector. Think, well, well, I could pay £10 here, um, or I can pay maybe £30 to see someone in the private sector, and the idea that the private sector is better uh, for whatever reason could be, uh, maybe I'm being a bit um, paranoid, but I just feel like the introduction of money into this, into the NHS is probably uh, part of a bigger, a bigger scheme. Uh, anyway. Oh, don't do it. Um, don't do it. It's everything that's happening in Australia right now with privatization is exactly just a carbon copy of what we did in the US. And and exactly like ex everything that you're fearful of is exactly what will happen. So um, like, I I mean, obviously, we should have our, t our time valued and we should be paid for our work. That is, you know, especially in the UK, that's a, a service that is done by the government. So it's for the people by the people ideally in a, mm. in a perfect world what happened in the u.s is there is a there's a split in the there's two schools of thought one is that if you're seeing a doctor then you're a paying customer and you're consulting them for their expert opinion mm. um mm. and you know if you disagree with their opinion that's fine you just go find someone else to to consult about your own healthcare the same way that you would about you know consulting someone for a construction project or legal issues the flip side is that some doctors feel like patients will come in and demand things of them so they'll demand tests that the doctor is like in my clinical expertise i don't think this is necessary in my you know experience this is what i think is more likely going on and they find patients to be a lot more demanding and if you know if you don't write this um you know referral for an MRI that I'm going to give you a one-star review on Google and then you get in trouble with administration and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And so it's like medicine, you know, some people do believe that medicine is in a way you sh should be keeping it like pure in that if once you introduce money into something, patients become customers and then you have to like do things that the customer wants. The customer is always right. And then it feels like we're actually mm. being untrue to like what we've been trained to do. Um, I... I know that GPs in Australia, if you're a bulk billing GP, which means that you just charge what the, the government rebate is, you can't keep your business mm. afloat. I mean, it's like, it's simply not enough money. And if you mm. want to keep the bills paid, you want to keep the lights on, you want to pay your staff what they're worth. Um, and like housing prices here have gone up by 50% in the last 12 months. Mm -hmm. um, then you have to charge a gap. So that's what that means is that patients don't go to their GPs because they can't afford that gap. And then they wait for problems to get really bad. And then they turn up in emergency and that costs everybody more that costs the system more. it costs patients, you know, more in their own health. And yeah, I mean, basically the, the whole point is, is that the people who are doing the paying just need to pay us more. Yeah, <laughs> I will just, I will die on this hill. Like everyone needs <laughs> to get paid more. If you're patient facing, if you're in any way on the ground doing the labor, we all need to be paid more. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, most people, I think that, that there's evidence that, like to say that even trying to enforce such policies would just end up costing more money. So literally, it's just rhetoric, isn't it? As you say, to actually hmm. people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and who are you hurting? Like, who, who, are, who are the people who will be hurt by that? It will, it will always be the most marginalized. It will always be the people who need the healthcare the most. Yeah. Hmm. That's true. I mean, you know, tenor here or there for some people is not much, but when you're someone that probably going to need the healthcare service they're the ones that are not going to go because of 10 pounds i mean that's just no uh it's not great is it um yeah 
I think um, we're coming up to time. Um, should we let's finish on one uh, on one? So this is this is a scenario. So have you ever heard of um, Arabella? Have you ever heard of Fessel? Fessel, is that on your radar? I just, I just, I just saw this tweet yesterday, um, okay. and I think I just started following them yesterday. Uh, it's like one of my favorite accounts. Um, this yeah, this tea a, coffee one. Yes, that's the one. That's the one. Yeah, <laughs> you could read it to us. Go for it. I was being interviewed for a job and the receptionist asked if I wanted tea or coffee. I was so nervous, I just answered, yes, please. Five minutes later, she brought me in both a tea and a coffee and I had to sit through the interview like a psychopath alternating between both cups. <laughs> now, I like retweeted this and people were like, oh yeah, I'd do that. And I was like, that, that is psychopathic. But what would you do in that scenario? Well, okay, I, I try, I'm trying very hard to stick to one cup of coffee a day. It's not working now that I'm doing nights, but... Hmm. Um, in, so whenever I'm at work and consultants offer coffee, I just say no thanks. Like if, if you're going to get me anything, get me a tea. Like I, I try to have the one cup of coffee in the morning and then tea for the rest of the day. Um, mm -hmm. I, I I don't understand why the receptionist didn't clarify what because 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 <laughs> if you're going to bring someone a coffee or a tea, you need to know what their milk and sugar That's preferences right. are anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah. and then if someone did bring me both a tea and a coffee, like I would. I guess I would probably just chug one of them and then hold the other one during the interview. Like, I, <laughs> like uh, which one did you chug? Well, this is so this is dangerous because if you chug the coffee, then you'll have to poo. That is true, and yeah. during an interview, not ideal. <laughs> so this is this is a quick conundrum. This has become a problem. Yeah, she's really she's put some thought into it. Yeah, <laughs> I was just going according to like taste preference, but she's like thinking about the biological, <laughs> physiological effects. <laughs> but you know what i've got to say the receptionist is this a good receptionist is this someone who's done their job well i feel like well you know she, she hedged her bets didn't she or he or yeah, she yeah, uh, Joe, yeah, you know yeah. you know yeah trusha um God. yeah I but then i think like um it reminds me of this time like we had a, a mutual friend of ours trusha uh, who um he was like a super smart dude he came around to my house and for, i don't know why but he ended up cooking sausages uh, otherwise cooking sausages and then someone said, and then I think someone said, um, hey, mate, I'll have a third. And then the guy chopped it into three and gave him a third. <laughs> and I was dumbfounded. I couldn't believe anyone would do something like that. What's the problem? And I was like, he said a third sausage, not a third of a sausage. Like, where, you never know mind? where you were with a person who behaves in such a way. Like, <laughs> that person's dangerous. This sounds like an autistic person. This just sounds like my people. Like, really? I was impressed. I was like, this guy's genius. He's taken the meaning that I never thought possible. That's a, that's an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, I, so I you sidestep really the question though. So, so what? Would, so, I, would you chug the tea then and enjoy the coffee? Wait, yeah, which one? We need to know. Yeah, we need to know the answer now. I, I, I think now that I'm actually thinking about it again, mm. I probably would just, just discard the coffee somehow oh interesting i don't i don't know how i would That's do right. that but if i'm if she's with me and she's taking me into the because yeah. i don't want to poo during an interview yeah generally yeah, yeah. it's not unless yeah, it's that kind of in, you don't know what kind of interview it is I suppose, but yeah <laughs> it could be very niche um, interview exactly yeah what are interviews for we need to know but okay so you discard the, the coffee, coffee yeah. surreptitiously because you don't want to upset 
his or her feelings and then you drink the tea just just find a way yeah find so way. like find a house plant to house plant. pour it into it or kill, something yeah, yeah. okay i think i just Fine. leave it behind i think i'd leave one behind <laughs> in fact i think that's happened recently yeah <laughs> leave both of them behind that'd just be the ultimate power yeah, move yeah, yeah i just leave I, I think i'd leave one behind definitely i, I think that's <laughs> what i'd do in that situation right and then, right. yeah right yeah yeah fair enough because actually good. i had a, i had an important meeting this week in central london and then um and then the, the lady at the front said, oh, do you want a coffee? And so I got the coffee, but then the person I hadn't meant to have the meeting with turned up and said, oh, let's go and get lunch. And I thought, well, what about my coffee? You know <laughs> so what? what did you do? It's gone. If I just left it, I had to leave it, oh, leave behind. You know me, I don't like wasting stuff, but yeah. in that situation, I had to leave behind. I couldn't say, sorry, big man. I, I know you want to go get lunch together, but I've got to finish this coffee that this nice lady's got. You know, Why didn't you take just... it with you? Was it in a... What, the oh. cup? And uh, No, man, it was like a proper nice little cup. It was, no, I oh. can't be doing that. Sorry, okay. sorry, Arabella, you had to listen to our, This is what our conversation actually like. We talk about this yeah. kind of thing. Um, cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just sitting here thinking, because like one time, I, one of our consultants, I was doing a plastic surgery term, and one of the consultants like took everyone down to the cafe after rounds, and they were like, hey, like, you know, I'll get everyone a coffee. And I'm like, well, I don't want a coffee. But, okay, so coffee is like $5. But if I wanted to get a tea, a tea is like $4.50. And I'm just like, well, that's a lot of money for just a bag of something in hot yes. water and so then yeah. i always like i don't like to buy tea out because it is expensive like for four dollars fifty for a bag in hot water that seems really silly yeah. and so and i was actually hungry and i was like oh no no don't worry about it like i'm just gonna get myself breakfast like i literally am just gonna like buy a breakfast and so i got like a falafel wrap and i don't remember something else and it came up to like 13 dollars, and i was gonna pay and then he still paid for it and i was like oh all right <gasps> cool do it yourself nice. do that nice. again <laughs> yeah, <that's fine. laughs> That's that's good move, good yeah. moves. Speaking of moves, I think it's time to make a move. Uh, it's got mm. very late. Well, that's very early for yourself, but very late for Tisha yeah. and I. It is. I'm actually, I've got a massage scheduled. Oh, nice! What a life, eh? What a life. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much uh, for <laughs> for coming on. Um, yeah. Can I say this? Is this paid for already? Or uh, no, let's let's ask later. Don't worry about that. Um, yeah, but thank, uh, thanks for um, thanks for coming. I really appreciate. <laughs> I, I I I will pay. I will pay before I go. <laughs> cool. All right then. Um, well, thank you so much, um, Arabella, for coming. And if you do want to have more of a musings, do follow her at um, oh, this lady doc says. And um, yeah, no doubt. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for your point. time. I really appreciate um, it. Yeah. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And I know it's worth a lot. So um, we will do. Appreciate <laughs> it. No worries. Okay then. <laughs> All right, bye. Uh, so till next time, everyone, uh, have a good week. Let's be nice to each other and let's not get cancelled. Bye. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>